Welcome to the next episode of the Laravel Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. I got two guys joining me. Can you introduce yourselves? I'm Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. So we just got back from a couple weeks of vacation. Jeffrey took a week and then Taylor took a week. So we're going to talk about that in a second. And uh, I'll be out in a little while. And then Laracons. Uh, so we're just, uh, I'm trying to figure out days, but we're less than a month away from Laracon US and somewhere around a month away from Laracon EU if I'm, if I'm good at calendars and math, which I'm not. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So I actually think before we talk about anything else, I just want to hear from you. Um, Taylor, what's, what's going on? What's the prep looking like? Uh, what's your stress level? What kind of work you're doing? And, and one of the questions we had had that we were actually talking about beforehand is who's doing the work? How much is this is you? And do you have any people who are like a formally helping you or what's going on with that? Uh, so we're actually three weeks away today from, uh, Laracon. Wow. Uh, so we're getting pretty close. Last night I placed the t-shirt order. So it was something like 450 t-shirts because I got extras of, you know, each sizes to account for people that sign up between now and then. Um, so the food is ordered, um, the speaker dinner is planned. So really a, a lot of stuff is coming together. It's mainly been... I, it's been me and Brian Webb at uh, Indatus, who's now been bought by, I think it's RealPage. He's been helping me do some legwork on the ground since he lives in Louisville and can kind of scout out uh, caterers and, and restaurants and stuff like that. So he's kind of been uh, my helper in a sense in that way. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a few things left to do. We have to get the banners uh, printed for the sponsorship. So I'm working on that this week. And then, of course, the uh, attendee badges. And just all those little things to make it finally uh, come together and, and wrap things up. But I think it's going to be a great conference. Um, all the stuff is, is coming together. The speaker lineup is good. And uh, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a lot of people there. We're, we're up around 400 tickets right now. And last year was 240. So, I mean, you're, there's 160 more people there this year than uh, last year. Man, last year felt pretty big. So that's I didn't realize it was going to be that much bigger. Yeah, it's pretty large. The theater holds uh, 650, which we assumed, you know, we would never hit that number, especially in Louisville. But, um, you know, we're surprisingly getting up there <laughs> closer to that number. Um, I think I think if we did a, you know, a bigger metropolitan city like New York last year, the interesting thing about last year was when it was in New York, 50 percent of our tickets were from New York. So wow. only 120 people came from outside of the New York area. Wow. Um, so to do almost 400 in Louisville, Kentucky, I feel like it's, it's pretty, pretty indicative of how much pop, more popular the conference is this year. That's a, that's a, that's a huge change. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And actually, speaking of the venue, so I know that so there's one kind of, we don't always say it out loud, but one of the differences between different types of conferences is some of them are really a hotel conference where you kind of spend the whole time at the hotel. It's usually probably a hotel that's really close to an airport. Um, and some of them are, I don't know what you call them, city conferences or destination conferences where the, the, the place where it is, you spend a lot of time kind of in the city and stuff like that. So you've told us a little bit about um, Louisville and there's that area. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but do you have any new kind of news to share or is it just kind of like, hey, you know, you, you'll see it when you get here kind of stuff about what, you know, what's available around the hotel and everything? Well, it's definitely a, a city conference. It's right in the middle of downtown Louisville. I mean, you couldn't be any more in Louisville. It's a really cool venue, the Kentucky Performing Arts Center. And what's really cool is the hotel that we actually recommend on the website. It's not like you have to stay at this hotel, but we just have a group discount there. It is connected to what's called 4th Street Live in downtown Louisville, which is sort of this big dining entertainment retail thing in the middle of Louisville. So there's lots of restaurants. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the list now. You know, there's steakhouses, Hard Rock Cafe, um, 
kinds of dessert places, fudge places, uh, sort of like a nightclub type stuff. Um, so it's a really cool uh, little thing. It's going to give people a lot of options to go eat um, at night and just kind of hang out. So that that's going to be a really cool uh, venue, I think. In New York, there was kind of more distance between like the hotel and the venue and where we were eating and stuff like that. So with Louisville, it's going to be all within sort of a, a five-minute walking distance. That's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to be there and see people and, and see the city. Um, I've been working on my talk a lot over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's really fun now that we can see the speaker lineup and the talk lineup to know kind of where each talk will fit. I feel like I can never really finish my talk until I know what it's before, what it's after, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's cool to see things coming together. So now I can kind of really get a sense of where does it fit in the, I guess, the narrative of the entire conference. Yeah. Matt, do you find that you get nervous? I, I'm nervous because um, I'm first. And that means there's both the, you know, the, the good thing about being first is that you talk and then the whole rest of the conference, you get to relax. The bad thing about being first is that there's the no like kind of level of like, oh, here's how things are going. And there's no level of like, you know, oh, I can learn from things people do before me. And there's, you know, and there's just, I think the expectation of everyone's excited and Taylor's given the first intro and, and 450 people sitting there and I'm just going to walk up on the stage and start talking. And so there's all these expectations. And th- this is true, whether or not you're first for me of like, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to be smart enough? I mean, for me, I tend to really love giving kind of more entry level talks. I love focusing on helping people enter in the community or enter in particular features well. But that means I'm like, oh, well, my contemporaries, they're all going to think that I'm really dumb and i'm not doing something exciting so there's so many pressures so i'm both <laughs> i'm both confident because i know that the co- topic that i'm doing is going to be valuable to people and i'm i'm giving it because i'm so excited to share it with those people and i'm also terrified at the same time do you imagine that when you're on stage like will your hands shake or do you feel like once you're on stage you can kind of go into you know shake it off and get going shake it off taylor tay tay um when i get on stage my hands are sweating my hands are shaking I am like full of energy. I think I do get into a groove a little bit, but there's there's nerves the whole way through for me. I know a lot of people say types of things where I get really nervous, and then when I get on stage, I just do my thing. That's never been me. I'm yeah. nervous the whole way through. So I think I think the nerves go down quite a bit once I'm actually talking and realizing that I'm doing a good job. But it's not this kind of like, oh, I'm just a smooth operator up there. I'm still kind of hyper aware. So I think for me, the biggest thing to try and learn is just to be really conversational. Um, because it's very easy for me to have conversations, but it's harder to have conversations when there's 450 people staring at you in bright lights. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you weren't uncomfortable on stage, it would be weird. You know, like, yeah. being uncomfortable is perfectly normal. You're on stage in front of 450 people, equally, if not smarter than you. You know, it's like being uncomfortable is the correct thing to be at that point. Yeah. I know for me, like like you were saying, for me, I'm kind of nervous about all of it leading up to it. But then once I go on stage, I, I can, I'm kind of okay. You know, it's the week leading up to it that I almost hate. Like I yeah. hate that feeling, that kind of anxiety in your chest. But yeah, then the day of when I go up, I'm actually okay. Um, the biggest piece of advice that was given to me completely unrelated to conferences, it was, it was actually playing music, but it's, it's the same basic principle. If you feel like you're talking fast and I'm the type of person when I'm uncomfortable, I talk really fast. They said, when you feel like you're talking fast, you're not. You're, or I'm sorry, when you feel like you're talking normal, you're actually talking really fast. Yeah. So when you get on stage, almost talk as if you're going incredibly slow. And really, in real life, you're so anxious that actually you're talking at a perfectly normal speed. 
So that's helped me quite a bit, but I, I still fail at that all the time. Yeah, at Laracon EU, I went way too fast. So I've been trying to really kind of hold this on and be like, nope, slow it down, slow it down. And I think I think you're right, though. I think being up on stage is definitely, it's nerve-wracking a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm shaking a little bit, but it's half of that is because I got so nervous leading up to it. It's just yep. kind of like, so it's like the two hours prior to, prior to getting on stage, I'm just like, somebody just knock me out for two hours and just kind of wake me up when time's to go on stage. But yeah, once you get up there, it definitely calms down some, so... And obviously, like the biggest uh, way you can fight that is totally prepare, like practice your talk over and over and over. So when you are on stage, you know this stuff as well as you can possibly know. That's like the best way you can fight it. Because if you're on stage and you're kind of winging it, man, people are going to notice so, so quickly. And there's so much nuance that kind of comes out in writing a talk when you run through it. I would say like literally the more times I run through a talk, the better it is. I've yet to reach the number of run-throughs that actually has the whatever it is the diminishing return or whatever it just every time it helps you get more comfortable with it you find some little places that you miss something or whatever Mm -hmm. taylor what about you um yeah i get pretty nervous and these past couple years have been sort of unique in terms of conference talks for me because especially at laricon because i'm unveiling stuff and like last year i only had like um you know four or five slides and then i unveiled forge and stuff and so that's that's kind of a different kind of nerve wracking because I'm worried like, is Forge going to work? Is it going to live up to kind of what people want and what they're expecting? And I feel like almost to a greater extent this year, because not that the thing I'm unveiling is any bigger, but just like, I think there's more uncertainty in my mind of like, it's still not quite finished. Like it's not polished enough for the conference and there's only three weeks left. Um, A question of are people actually going to like it or is it going to be something that, you know, people don't like at all. So with Forge, it was sort of like it was more obvious to me that this was going to be widely appealing. But with this, it's obvious to me that I really like it and that a few people are going to really like it. But I hope that like 450 people are going to like it. So we'll see, I guess. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't have like a big slide deck, you know, that I can keep polishing. It's sort of like this this one thing that has to sort of look good and feel good as I present it. So you have the same thing where you have just a few slides and then you're immediately going into a demo, I assume? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Matt, what about you? Do you create hundreds of slides or do you like to keep it pretty minimal? What's your approach there? More slides, the better for me. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I I both think it's more fun. And I also think it's I I think I have more opportunity to communicate, but I also have more opportunity to be like, I feel like there's a lot of comedy and humor to the way I give my talks, but they're serious talks. And so I feel like the comedic timing of slides helps me a lot with that. Like just to be able to punch just the right slide at just the right time is often a good comedic moment. But then also for information, like I, I'm not the type where I'm like, oh, I want to be able to have every point I'm ever going to say written in a bullet point. But there's just so much supporting information behind what we're talking about. To just sit and stare at the same piece of information and talk about it for 15 minutes, I feel like we're missing out on something. So for me, I, I would say a good talk. I've got a couple hundred slides for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you write a lot of speaker notes for yourself? My goal is to have none. Um, really? And that's that's one of the reasons why I like having a lot of slides. I don't want speaker notes. I want my slides and my practice to be enough so they don't need anything else. Because having to turn to refer to speaker notes frequently ends up putting me in a difficult position. I think it's one of those awkward things of you're in this mid talk and you're you know walking out on the stage and you're like, oh, got to go back to the podium. <laughs> you kind of walk back <laughs> out to the podium and look down, read your notes, take a drink. There's awkward pauses. So for me, I want it to be flowing. And the best way to do that is to not have to rely on the notes. 
Yeah, and the reality is you won't read your speech, unless your speaker notes are like just a couple words. If, if I have any notes, I try to keep it literally like two or three words. Because if you write a sentence in your speaker notes, when you're on stage, just the act of reading that sentence to yourself feels like an eternity. Yep. Even though it's not. It's two seconds. But when you're up there and if you're kind of stressed out, that feels like a very long time. I am I, always envious. Like I was watching um, one of the RailsConf presentations with DHH. And he, he's such a good speaker. He's, like, ridiculously good. I guess because he's been doing this for a decade. And he'll I just watch, like, little things he'll do. He'll walk over to the podium, open his water bottle, take a drink of it. It takes five or ten seconds. For me, if I were to do that in complete silence, I would be sort of freaking out. But he does it, and it's like, it doesn't feel like a long time. It's perfectly normal, perfectly comfortable. But for me, that silence feels like an hour, you know, even though it's not. So those are the sorts of things I kind of weirdly respect. Yeah, I think there's like we were just talking about when you have 450 people staring at you with bright, bright lights, you feel this pressure to fill the void and to entertain and to be, you know, good enough. There's all these things that are all tied together. I'm actually the type that even just in a casual conversation, I like to, you know, fill the void. Like my wife, when we were dating, would always make fun of me. She's like, you you, you don't you don't know how to just let a conversation just be silent for a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying. Yeah, well, it's that feeling that any silence is tense silence and you have yeah. to fill it up. It's like, no, you don't. But it's just, you know, it's just a personality thing that we all have. Yeah. yeah. So what, what tools are you guys using? So first of all, before you even get to actually make the slides, what tools do you guys use to, to write your talk? Uh, I personally use Dexet for everything. Dexet is a Mac app. It's sort of like the slide app that, I wish I had 10 years ago or five years ago. It's so good. Excluding like maybe one feature I wish they would have, it's so good. So I do literally everything in there. And it's because uh, ultimately your slides are just a markdown file that you split with lines. So each line you split with three dashes. So all of my prep, all of my writing, all of my graphics are all done in there. I don't use anything else. I'm using, I use Dexet for the past uh, presentations I've done too. And it's so much faster than me tinkering around with Keynote. I, I can't really... I may try to sketch things out in Dexet this time and then transition things to Keynote because I, you can't really customize Dexet to the extent that you can Keynote, but it is so fast for sort of prototyping your talk. Yeah, I, I used to be anti-Dexet because I, I, I liked the customization that I could do in Keynote. I was just It was a really significant part of my early talks that I just I really, really nuanced the presentation um, and I was proud of it. And it, I got a lot of really positive comments from people that it helped them get it. And then I wrote, wrote my first couple talks in, in Dexet, and it just makes such a massive difference of what my energy is going towards. Like with Dexet, my energy is going towards fi- refining and honing my content. And with Keynote, my energy is going towards tweaking slide designs. And especially once you start really tweaking the slides to the designs, you're really, really unlikely to go back and make a change in the content because you've spent so much work really tweaking and all kind of stuff in a deck set you make a change of the content and it, it auto sorts it around for you or whatever so i i, I said i was going to write my conference talks this year um in deck set and then convert them all over to keynote and then do presentations but even now i'm looking at it i'm like is it worth the energy to to convert them rather than putting that same amount of energy towards just further refining the talks and i'm actually not sure so I think my biggest issue with Dexet is there aren't more themes or there's not like an easier theming engine. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I've kind of used up all of the themes that I really like from Dexet. And so now I'm like, do I go repeat or do I start? Can you even write custom themes? I kind of think you can't. Yeah. 
I think if there was a custom theming engine, I would go spend a little time on that because I don't want to have like five talks in my, you know, my repertoire that all have the exact same theme or whatever. So it's amazing how much work it, it, it amounts to, though, in the end. I'm almost surprised that we all agree to do it because like speakers <laughs> I'm are paid almost for surprised. Their, <laughs> yeah, like speakers are paid for their airfare to cover that in the hotel. But beyond that, it is dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of work when you yeah, add it all up just thinking and brainstorming and then preparing your talk and then practicing your talk and then the time it takes to travel there yeah. and do it it is a huge investment that we all basically do for free you know it's amazing that we do it i mean you take five days off work four days off work or something like that uh probably a couple dozen hours of practice at least a couple dozen hours of writing and then you got at least a dozen hours of coming up with the idea brainstorming them outlining all that kind of stuff i mean it's a yeah it's a sizable project but i think part of it is just that almost everybody i know maybe everybody i know who speaks at conferences just loves it it's like a like a weird really expensive hobby (laughs) (laughs) so i mean most most hobbies are expensive so i guess that's a thing um so one last thing before we go for today. Um, so vacations. Uh, so, so Jeffrey, you took a vacation for a week. Taylor, you did. And I'm going to be taking a vacation for a week next week. And I, I get the sense that all three of us basically it was go with your family to somewhere relatively rela- relaxing and probably with beaches or lakes or whatever and just kind of don't do much for the week versus the whole like I'm flying across the world to do massive adventures, climbing up mountains or whatever. So it kind of seems like we're all kind of doing the same kind of vacation. So I wanted to just see like anything we want to talk about about vacation and why vacation is helpful, necessary, and what does it help you protect you from, and, and when when do you know you need a vacation? So, Jeffrey, I wanted you to start because you talked a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, well, of course, me. Uh, it's just me and my wife at this point. We don't yet have kids. We will at some point, but not right now. So, of course, we just naturally go on vacations regardless of anything. But I do find that sometimes I will like schedule a vacation because I just feel pre-burnout. It's not like I'm not totally burned out, but I feel myself getting there. You know, like sometimes when you're working and it's like, we love this. I love this stuff. But even sometimes I feel myself just kind of, I don't know, like getting a little depressed, thinking like, oh my God, I'm, I'm 30 years old and I'm just staring at code all day. You know, you start having those like life crises. And it's not based on anything. It, it doesn't amount to anything other than you just need a break. And I think some of us were a little obsessive, maybe. I don't, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I, I feel that way sometimes. I obsess over it. Even when I'm not working, I'm thinking about it and thinking about things I want to do. Even when I go on vacation, I can't not focus on it because I love it, but it's also a little OCD. It's, it's kind of weird, but um, that's where my wife is really helpful to me because she kind of forces it. She's good about just forcing me to put up the computer and not think about work because if I'm left to my own devices, yeah, I, I can easily burn out sometimes. Yeah, I think if I wasn't married, I would be a I would be a workaholic. Yeah, if I didn't have I didn't have that controlling element. Uh, Taylor, what were you going to say? Um, yeah, and we went on vacation. We went to Florida uh, last week, Rosemary Beach, and there's definitely a difference between vacation pre kids and vacation after. One oh yeah, kid. and then and then again, there's another transition with vacation with two kids. I feel like, and then I'm, I'm sure people would say <laughs> the more kids you add, the more stressful it gets. But I mean, in some ways, vacations they're not. They're not really relaxing after when you get to that point, but it is nice to sort of have a change of scenery and, uh, you know, see see pretty uh, scenery and stuff. So it was fun. Uh, we hung out on the beach and uh, played around in the ocean a little bit, and it was it was nice. It was nice to have a change of scenery, but yeah, it's still a uh, it's still a lot of work going on vacation with two kids. Definitely, <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, you know Abigail and I having time to have like a little vacation by ourselves when the kids are a little older. 
Yeah, we, we, it's so funny. When we first had a kid, we only have one, so I haven't yet experienced the multiple transition, but we realized we had started changing it from being like, basically, it's it's not vacation as you think of it, but it's more like a, a change in scenery, like you said, but it's also like it's dedicated family time in a different environment. And, and, and that's, you know, the dedicated family time, it's the vacation versus staycation versus being gone at the office 40 hours a week. So there's, that's, you know, one thing is just, hey, you know, and the other thing is like, you know, hey, my son getting the opportunity to spend time with his cousins who live in Michigan, who he never sees. And, you know, and to go swimming in a lake, which he never gets to do. And for me to see my family, you know, vacation, with my family, you know, so even if it's not like, cause we tend to think of vacation as being this, like, I'm going to relax. I'm going to kick, kick back and, you know, sip, sip wonderful drinks and read my book in a hammock. And with kids, that's not it because all your responsibilities travel with you. And actually they, they increase a little bit because kids are harder to take care of when they're outside of their normal comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. And you're co- constantly worried about them drowning in the ocean or yep, yep. getting sand in their eye, getting sunscreen in their eye, falling yeah. and hurting themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a constant string. You're, you're like always on alert, right? Yeah. Because the ocean is sort of like a dangerous place in a, in a lot of ways. And um, so you're always, you know, at this high state of alert. You can't really just like relax and chill like you can without kids. Do you guys find that you're able to turn it off the whole, obviously at the beach you are, but like just in general, can you completely turn it off and not work? Or do you find yourself sneaking back to the code editor? Well, I have to work a little bit. I have to work a little bit just to answer customer support. And I do like to code. I mean, to me, coding is relaxing. So I guess that's sort of dangerous. And I could become a workaholic really easily because I find coding like coding is my video games in a way. Like it's just a relaxing thing I do. And... Um, so I do code, I coded a little bit at night because I was trying to get ready for the Laracon stuff and, and make sure things are polished. So I coded actually for probably an hour every night from like 1030 to 1130, sometimes midnight after yeah. everyone else was in bed. Yeah. I mentioned this in my latest newsletter, but when I first got married, my wife was really confused and it took us a while to figure out why. And it, it turns out that the issue was because when we were supposed to be just spending time together, not necessarily intentional time, like, hey, we're doing this together, but it's more like, you know, when a couple relaxes together and watches TV or something, well, I don't really watch TV. So she would be reading a book or watching TV and I'd be on the computer. And it, we realized the tension was because she thought I was doing work during that time. Because she's like, the, work, the computer's open, you must be doing work. Um, and, and she'd see the code editor up and she's like, you must be doing work. I'm like, no, 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 this is my hobby. And it took a little while to communicate that like doing code is my hobby. I, like I said in my newsletter, like I was one of those lucky people who actually was successful in saying, what's the thing you do when you didn't get paid for it? Now go get, get paid for it. Like that's what I'm doing. And so like, even when I'm not getting paid for it, it's still what I want to do. Like you said, so it's my, it's my gaming. So when I go on vacation, I think I have to squash that a little bit. And I just have to know that like, this is not the time where I do that kind of relaxing unless a time comes when everybody else has fallen asleep and I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to code a little bit, but I tend to, especially the, you know, when it's just kind of like, like, let's say, you know, my wife and my son like are doing something and I, I'm not doing it with them. Then I might code. But usually I try to avoid being in a situation where I could be spending time with the rest of the family and sitting down in front of the computer. Even if it is my relaxation, even if it's just the same as somebody else reading a book, I try to avoid it just for the sake of like, there's just some messaging of having the computer open and not interacting with the people around you. So it's it's tough because it is relaxing for me, um, but I've got to make sure that I'm really kind of controlling kind of what messages I'm sending and everything like that. But I, I got to say, I will I will almost definitely code at least a little bit. But, but furthermore, when I'm doing things like that, I, what I can't stop is I can't stop the fact that that's where my brain goes. So like when I'm just walking along the beach, like sometimes I'm thinking happy thoughts about 
whatever. But sometimes I'm thinking about my next SaaS and sometimes I'm thinking about a blog post or my conference talk because that's that's what I'm excited about. And those are the problems that I'm solving. And, and often when I'm on vacation, I actually get more think, good thinking done in those topics than I would another time. That's exactly what I was going to say is, yes, like I, I have to be very careful about it because I do naturally go there. And it's it's kind of rude to my wife because even though I'm not working per se, I'm playing, it's still like well, from her point of view, I'm working, you know? Yep. And so I have to be very sensitive to that. But also what I find is when I go on vacation, I'm not focusing on daily emails. I'm not focusing on the day-to-day of running Laracast. So it kind of frees up my mind to think about other things. And then I think, oh, I'd really like to do that. And I have the time to do it. You know, so many times I want to do things and I just don't have the time, you know, just all the daily responsibilities I have. So when I go on vacation, like for example, I just completely rewrote Laravel Elixir on vacation. It's not a big project. So it, it just didn't take more than a couple of days. But it was like, I finally had the, the free time to just think about it and think, how do I want this to work? Because, you know, the first time I built Elixir, I was just trying to figure out if it was even possible to wrap up Gulp like that, I, you know? So, and that's really hard. I think you have to go through that phase where you're just figuring out if you can get it to work and then slowly you start refining it. I would imagine the Laravel framework is the same way between version one, two, three, and four. You know, you kind of have a better understanding of how you want it to be. But yeah, it's like when I'm working, I don't, I don't have the mind space to just sit and think about it. And when I'm on vacation and I'm sitting on a beach for hours, I suddenly do. That'll probably change when I have kids, like you guys tell me, but, but at least right now, um, it gets me excited about things. And then I want to code after my wife goes to sleep. And I have to be very careful about that. Uh, I, I need to just before we before we close off for the day, I need to acknowledge the fact that Laravel Elixir is one of the most underappreciated pieces of the framework. And it saves me so much hassle. And I know I'm a front end guy. So I think maybe I'm I'm a little bit more appreciative than than most. But I've spent a lot of time in Gulp. And man, I can't tell you how thankful I am for that thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like Elixir. You know, and Elixir is another example. When when Taylor and I first released that, I got a lot of emails from people saying it was a dumb idea and it was stupid and dangerous and, you know, we should have just included a gulp file. And the truth is, we at one point did have a gulp file with just a bunch of tasks. And um, it's just another example that so often, if you just trust what people tell you on Twitter, it's bad advice. You know, these are super smart people that was that were saying Elixir was stupid and not smart. And I think Elixir is great. And yeah. it's because of that simple, that API is totally tailored. You know, it's it's that constant focus on simplicity that always wins. This is very much what I'm talking about at my uh, present, during my presentation, that idea that simple always wins. And if you're not careful, people will try to make it more complex and they'll have all these justifications for why it needs to be this much more uh, difficult to use. And you have to be careful about that. I agree. Elixir is awesome. That's one of my. That's also one of my favorite pieces. When I first start a project, it's just so nice to have everything ready to go. And I honestly don't even think about it anymore. It's just ready to go and start using it. All right. Anything else you guys want to chat about today? Before yeah, we... we didn't have, we didn't have a fun question at the end. <laughs> it's too probably too late now. Well, here we go. On the topic of vacations, what's your next dream vacation that you had? You somewhere you haven't been that you would just love to go sometime in the future? Is this? Does it have to be realistic? Uh, I guess not. Just like the ultimate okay. fantasy place dream. Greece. My wife and I have both wanted to travel to like the beautiful island shores. Uh, no, island, the beautiful <laughs> shores of Greece. We see all these pictures of like that kind of curving beach with the Mediterranean, you know, houses going down. Oh my gosh. Every time we see pictures. We're That's like, the top of my wife's list too. For me, it would be, um, I would love to go to Scotland. 
and just see some of the countryside there. I've never been there. I've never experienced anything like that. I'd love to go to Scotland or India. I love Indian food. I would love to go out there and just travel the whole country. I w- I'd like to go to, uh, I think you would, I think it's pronounced the Maldives, I guess. Um, but stay at one of those little hut, Beautiful. Uh, hut hotel rooms on the ocean thing. Yeah. Anyway, Google, oh if gosh. you don't know, Google it. M-A-L-D-I-V-E-S. Yeah, I think that either that or Bali would definitely be number two on, on our list. All right, guys. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you as always. So I think I'm going to be out for the next one. So you guys will either have a guest or we'll push it down or something. But whatever it is, uh, if nothing else, I'll see you on three weeks in person in Louisville. All right. See you.